Our scripture reading today is from 1 Samuel 29, 1 through 5. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel, as the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands. And David and his men were passing on in the war with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David, of whom they sing to one another in dances, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for the, the privilege to worship you as your people uh, corporately. We thank you for your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would just empower Mark now as he preaches and preaches from it. Uh, may your blessing, just have ask your blessing on our time now. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Dave and Vinny. I heard it. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. They'll catch on eventually, right? They'll catch on. Okay, so one little bit of house cleaning before we dig into this passage. I was reminded or maybe um, told is a better way to say that at the end of the service last week, I had used an illustration of one of our elders, Luke uh, Sawatsky, who's not here. They're on vacation last week and this week. That uh, some of you thought he was having open heart surgery last week because as a pastor, I didn't realize that I needed to explain that that was a year ago. And so some people came up concerned because, you know, it just happened that Luke is gone. And they're like, what's wrong with Luke? Where's Luke? Where's he having surgery? And it's like, no, he had that a year ago. You can ask him about that when he gets back next week. But uh, anyway, so I want to make sure he is perfectly fine. In fact, he's in sunny Florida having a good time. So uh, he's doing really well. Um, on top of that, he had his one-year scan a couple of weeks ago uh, just to make sure everything was still good uh, with everything, and it came out perfectly clean. So that's a huge praise for that. But I wanted to clarify that just so anybody got worried that Luke's, you know, having issues again. Uh, he's not. He's not. Praise God for that. We get an opportunity. We get an opportunity to read God's Word, to study God's Word, um, if it's not apparent, I love God's Word. It's one of those things that not only punches you in the face spiritually, but also encourages you spiritually as a believer in Jesus Christ. It is, it is very simplistic in its understanding, and yet it is the deepest thing and the most profound thing that you will ever read. And if you're a believer, you, you get that. You understand that. A lot of times it's easier to understand. It's easy to understand. It's difficult to follow through with. A lot of times um, things are read and we're like, that's a nice story, but there's a deep meaning and purpose. And this book right here, as a reminder as believers, is, is to know and understand that this is how God has revealed himself to his people. This is the character of God 
being revealed to us when we understand this. And it is an opportunity for us as God's people to gather together, to study his word, to be slapped in the face if we need to, and be encouraged at the same time, because this is who God is in revealing to us on these words on, on, this, on, these paper, on this paper. So the reason why I'm saying is that is because we can, as we're slogging through 1 Samuel, and then in the fall, we're going to start 2 Samuel, and you're like, holy cow, is he at the end of 1 Samuel yet? Oh, no, we're halfway through the book, technically. Um, because it can feel like a slog, because it can feel like, oh, these are great stories, I always feel like for myself and for us as a people to remind us that this is the word of God. He put it there for a reason, and he didn't put it there just so that we could have nice stories to read every once in a while. There's a meaning behind it. And all of it in the end, you know, here's, here's uh, uh, to tell, tell what's going to happen in, in coming up. Uh, what do they call that in movies? What was that? Foreshadowing, yes, but um, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, that's what I was thinking of. See, that's what happens when you get off your notes. You just forget words like that. Spoiler alert, it's all about Jesus. And those are my words, those are Christ's words in the New Testament. So this story even today about David and the Philistines, and this is all pointing us to Christ. Maybe it not be Christ directly, but it's moving us in a direction to understand the coming Messiah, who he is in the New Testament. And so this is an opportunity. I want us to see these words and read these words throughout the week. If you're picking up your Bible and you're studying it as God's people, what an opportunity we have to hear from God. You know the songs that we're talking about, like he created all the sands of the shore, he created all the universe, and he decided to reveal himself to us as human beings in all of this universe through his word. And we have an opportunity, a privilege to read God's word and understand him better. So that's my heart. That's what I want us to to feel today. And I will constantly remind myself and I will constantly remind us as God's people, this is more than just words on a page. This is God's word, the creator of the universe speaking to us. So that being said, getting into 1 Samuel chapter 29. Last week, we learned that those who seek first the kingdom of God, the rule of God, and the reign of God in all areas of their life, they will be, give, be given by God all that is needed in their life. Now, we had to emphasize needed, right? Because what I want and what I need are two different. What I think I need and what God says I need are very different. And the, the context of that seek first the kingdom of God and all of this will be added unto you is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you have anger towards your brother, it's the same as murdering him. Do you want to have self-control in that? Seek first the kingdom of God. So that's through all of that. Seek him first. Seek his rule in our life first. And all of these things will be added to us. The things of the heart, the self-control, the love for others. For instance, Saul In our chapter last week, chapter 28, he desired wisdom and direction, which in and of themselves are very noble desires. 
But God had already left him, and God would not listen to him when Saul went to him because Saul had already chosen the things of this world and rejected the desires and the will and the reign of God in his life and in his heart. So he desired something, but he desired it for selfish reasons, and God had already rejected him as king, so would not listen to him. Now we're brought back to the life of David because let's be honest, where David is right now in his life, he's hanging out with the Philistines. It's not like he's the epitome of faithfulness, right? Throughout the book of 1 Samuel, we've only read of David's faithfulness too and his trust in the Lord until we get to chapter 27. And in that chapter, he feared Saul more than God. He took matters into his own hands. He fled to the safety of Israelites' archenemy, the Philistines. Of all groups of people, he ran to the Philistines. And while he's there, he's expected to raid the villages of Israel, but there was no way that David, the anointed king of Israel, could do such a thing. And so he instead raided the towns of the Canaanite people, killing anyone who would be able to reveal his secret that he didn't go to Israel, he went to the Canaanites. And so in chapter 29, David is still in the same sticky situation, and, but now he's even more over his head. He's not set off by himself, and he can do what he desires and what he wants and, and even kill people in order to silence them. The Philistines are marching to war against Israel. There's no way that David can weasel or kill his way out of this situation. He has to go to war against his own people. So that's where we're going to pick it up. In verse 6, starting in verse 6, all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 11. And then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest to me, and it seems right that you should march out in, march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the Lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the Lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from now, from the day that I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. David worked hard to keep his deception safe, even using vague phrases that could mislead but not technically be called a lie. For example, in 1 Samuel chapter 28, Achish tells David, understand that you and your men will go out to war with me in the army. And David's response isn't, uh, can't wait, or yeah, you'll be able to see how I fight against Israel. No, David says, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. Well, what's the what in that sentence, and what's the do in that sentence? Fight? 
Is he going to run away? Is he going to turn and kill all the Philistines? It's so vague that he doesn't really take a stance. Or in this chapter, verse 8, he says, What have you found in your servant from the day that I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the King? And as on a surface, you may go like, well, of course, he's talking to Achish, right? Well, that's how Achish took it. But it's also the phrase, my Lord, the King, is used by David twice, once in chapter 24 and once in 26. In response to Saul, David's words are so vague that he could mean either Achish or he could mean Saul or he could even mean God himself. And that kind of seems to be David's purpose. Be vague enough that Achish believes that David is loyal to him, but David can also say that he isn't technically with Achish. He's playing that game, right? We've all done it. And if you have children, you get it, right? And of course, Achish falls for David's ruse. He believes that David is as blameless as an angel of God, like a parent whose child is perfect in every way. He cannot see the fact that David has been lying to him for this whole year and four months that he's been with him. But his commanders certainly see right through David's facade. Isn't this the guy who prays for killing tens of thousands of Philistines? Like, do you remember that, Achish? You know that, that whole phrase? If we go out to battle, he's going to turn on us in order to get back into Saul's good side. You need to get rid of him. You need to send him away. And Achish has no option but to send David back to Ziklag, thus taking David out of the really awkward position of fighting against and killing the people that he was anointed to lead as king. Can we all agree that that would be really weird and really awkward for him? What's he going to do? But the question really here is what has driven David to this moment? And certainly his fear of Saul is affecting him, but there's, there's also something more. David wants the best of both worlds. See, we usually view David as a king who points to the true anointed king, Jesus Christ. That's all right. That's all true. But this chapter, this chapter forces us to view David not as a king, but as a wayward servant of the Lord. He's feared Saul, that um, he feared that Saul would one day catch up to him and kill him, but instead of turning to the Lord, He again takes matters into his own hands and he turns to the Philistines for salvation. And because David was the anointed king, he knew that he couldn't kill the people of God because that would make him a traitor to the people of God and to the Lord himself. He wanted earthly salvation from the Philistines or with the Philistines while also keeping his eternal salvation as part of the chosen people of God. You see his awkward position? And this works for a while until he finds himself on the march to fight with the Philistine army. David couldn't talk his way out of it. He couldn't kill somebody to get his way out of it. Instead, miraculously, which is an apt word for it, he couldn't couldn't do anything himself by his own means to stop this from happening, but he did have a God who intervened with undeserved favor towards him. Unlike Saul, God hadn't left David yet. Despite David's poor judgment, 
Despite his misplaced trust, God was still actively working and persevering David's life so that he would one day take the throne of Israel. David almost became a traitor to his people and almost became a traitor to his God, and yet God sovereignly moved providentially to save him from this eternal disaster. He fights against the people. Guess what? He can't take the throne anymore. David's cunning and strategies couldn't help him. Only a grace-filled God could step in. David wanted the best of both worlds. He sought earthly salvation at the hand of the Philistines while at the same time holding on to his identity as part of the chosen people of God. He wanted to be seen as a Philistine, but keep all the blessings of an Israelite. He wanted to put the facade of a Philistine over him so nobody would be able to question his allegiance to them. And yet, deep down, he held onto his identity as an Israelite. Praise God for the Lord's grace towards all of his people. Because the real wrestling that we have to have today in bringing it into our lives is we have to ask ourselves this question, do I as a Christian? So if you're not a believer, if you have not put your faith in Christ, I'm not speaking to you right now. I'm not speaking to you. If you are a believer, if you have put your faith in Christ, if you have submitted to his rule and reign over your life, even imperfectly, if you have called him your savior and put your trust in him, then I am speaking to you. So do you, do I as a Christian, as a member of God's chosen people, the church, do we seek the best of both worlds? Do I desire to be seen as a Philistine while wanting to be counted as an Israelite? Do I seek earthly salvation through the temporal, short-term treasures of this world? We look at that last week. While at the same time holding on to my eternal salvation as part of the chosen people of God. Okay, so I, I want to break that up a little bit or talk a little bit more about that. There is a strong pull for us as believers to be seen as Philistines while maintaining our identity as members of God's chosen people. In other words, we want the world to see us as one of them while privately keeping our allegiance to God. That's that pull. I want the world to see me as I'm one of them, and yet I know I'm not one of them. We're in the same conundrum. The problem with this is that we can't have the best of both worlds. And as God's people, we can't be in the world and be of the world at the same time. We cannot do that. And I'm not saying, like, just try harder. I mean, Bible says, and we're going to get there, you can't do it, literally. You are unable to do it. You will be exposed one way or another if you are a child of God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Or in, in, in Peter speaking in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What that means is, 
Before, you didn't know the things of God. You didn't know who God was. You didn't know his salvation. You didn't know Jesus Christ. Well, now you do. So don't let those former things that you didn't know, do not be conformed to those passions when you didn't know who God was. They ruled over you. Don't let let them control you. Don't conform your life or change and transform your life around those things for they are gone. You see, as God's chosen people, when we come to faith, when we are saved by God, God himself and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And he transforms us bit by bit by bit, day by day, moment by moment, from a sinful, rebellious, world-loving individual to a redeemed, obedient, Christ-exalting, and God-loving child of Him. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That means think on the things of God. You're transformed into something different. We are saved Once we are saved by God's grace, there is no going back to the things of this world. Not only do we learn that those worldly things, those earthly treasures cannot save us eternally, but in reality, they never fully uh, uh, fully satisfy us here on earth. As I said last week, when when we seek the things of this world, the treasures of this world, it's like drinking sand from a glass. Your mouth is full, but you're dry and it's never satisfying. When you and I examine our hearts, when we sit as God's people and we, we, don't, we don't look at other people, okay, let's, let's, let's not look at other people, let's look at our own hearts. If you're married, don't think of your spouse. If your kids, don't point to your parents. See? When you and I examine our heart and our life, do we find that we are more like David living with the Philistines than David who faced Goliath? Remember that story? He walks up to Goliath, this puny little boy, this no strength of his own other than he's got a sling, and he walks up, not because he knows that he can do it, because he knows that God is going to do it. Or are we... David with the Philistines who's afraid of Saul and have run to the enemy hoping to find salvation and peace and comfort and refuge. Totally turning away from God and not trusting in him. If you remember back in chapter 27, it was a godless chapter. We talked about that. God's not mentioned at all in that chapter. And that's done for a reason because David had forgotten Are we seeing that we are wanting to be in the world and not of the world, and yet upon closer examination, we find that we're actually being conformed to the passions of my former ignorance? I think that there are more of us in that boat than just you and me. It's a pull as a Christian, there's that battle that's waging not only in our own hearts, but we go out into the world. We walk out of this building. We walk away from times with God's people, times in God's word, and we have to go into the real world. We have to go to school. 
And we have to face the issues there and the pull to be disobedient, to look like our friends, to look like what we think is popular, what the world thinks is popular. And the pull of the Spirit within us as His children to say, you know what, don't conform to that. That is not who you are. Or to go to work and maybe to slide underneath the radar. I, I get this. I, I understand that pull. Okay, I, I've been a part of a sports team. Okay, it's, uh, it's an environment, if you want to say, where to be a Christian openly brings criticism because it is so different from the atmosphere and the environment and the way of thinking because the world is so in control of that. If you want, I, I can give you details in private if that's really what you want, but I'm, my hope is that you understand whether you are young and you're like 8, 9, 10 years old or you are 115 years old, that pull to be like the world and to be liked by the world is strong. We all want to be liked. We all want to find safety when we go to the, out into the world. Now, we may, as Christians, may give it lip service and say, hey, I'm not like the world. I once, I've used this as an example. I once, uh, a number of years ago, had a conversation with, with a man who claimed to be a believer. I thought he was a believer, and his mindset, he said, he goes, Mark, I can get drunk every once in a while. What's the big deal? So I just, I get drunk. I don't get drunk every weekend, just like, you know, once a month or two or three times a year or something like that. That's the mentality. Like, I can get drunk every once in a while. It's not really a sin, except for the Bible says, do not get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, don't, every week I feel like I have to put this disclaimer out. Like, this sounds like you just be a good person and God's going to love you, right? That's, that's legalism. What, what this is trying to get at is to understand when you put your faith in Christ, when you are saved by God, by Jesus Christ's blood on the cross, and we are transformed, He changes us. And when we sit and we think about where our lives lie, where do our hearts actually lie, He exposes those areas in our life of, Mark, you need to really work on this area because you look more like the world than you do my son, and that's that's not good. And so I'm going to transform you. And now that you know about it, you have no excuse. You need to to wrestle with this. Not to earn my love, you've already received my grace. But because I want you to be like me, and I will empower you and to do that. Now, it's going to take the rest of your life. But I'm going to do that in you. I'm going to do that in you. There are more of us in that boat than just you and me. And so, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. I read that, right? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Well, I want to look at the context of that. If we go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 13 through 21, I want to read that, that whole section and listen to, what, listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. 
He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. That means be aware, be ready, because a battle's gonna come. So be prepared. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's speaking to believers, saying, as a believer in Jesus Christ, remember, the end is coming. You're going to receive full grace. You're going to be transformed completely when Jesus comes again, or you die and you go into his presence. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but, and again, but, it's the greatest word in, in the Bible, but, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Why? Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. That means the exile, we're here on earth, we're not in heaven. That's the exile he's speaking of. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but what was made manifest in this last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, why? So that your faith and your hope are in God. In other words, this is really fancy language to say, as God's children, we have received eternal salvation. If you have faith in God, your salvation is secure. It is firm. Nothing can take that away. Nothing. Once saved, always saved, if you want to use the old phrase. You cannot lose your salvation once you are saved because it is given to us by grace, by God's unmerited favor towards us, just as it was towards David, the king. The things of this world cannot and never will save us. We cannot be of this world and of God for he is transforming us to be like him. That's why in this passage it says, remember, remember who you are. And who you are are sons and daughters who were bought with a price of the blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Not by your good works, not be, by being a good person. That doesn't save you. Jesus already accomplished that on the cross. He paid the debt for you so that God and the Holy Spirit can come and dwell with you and change you and transform you. Bit by bit, glory by glory. And that transformation, the transformation is going to be obvious to the world around us. Something is going to be different between us and the world. We may at times conform to this world and we may live like them, but if the Spirit is living within us, there's, there is that sense of guilt. Yes, I say guilt. That's a word that people don't like using because it makes us feel bad. But when we are disobedient against God as Christians, He does send guilt upon us to say, you're still my son, you're still my daughter, but what is happening is not right. You're being disobedient. Change your ways. You can say conviction that makes you feel better, but it's guilt, not eternal guilt. That's been washed away. 
Something is going to be different between us and the world, and they will know that we belong to him. So Achish, the most gullible man, (laughs) he had no clue what David was doing, but his commanders could see right through that. Maybe they didn't know exactly what David was doing, but they're going like, David is, you know, he's, he's, in, bad, he's in the bad graces of Saul and he's going to do something. He's going to do something against us in order to get back with Saul. Do you not see this? And if you don't see it, we're going to refuse to march out to battle with you, Achish, which means you're going to be by yourself. Good luck. Let me know how that works out for you. Achish had no, in his mind, he had no reason why to turn David away, but he was forced to coincidence there is no coincidence with god god moved in a gracious way in order for david to not be put in that situation and to bring him eventually back to israel back to the throne that he has been called to be upon the world is going to know that we love jesus What's, what's the, famous, the famous phrase? This is, this is interesting because we say, well, the world, in John chapter 13, the world will know you are my disciples by the way that you love one another, right? And totally true, absolutely true. Two chapters later, Jesus then says, in essence, and this is the Mark summary of it, the world will know that you are my disciples and they will hate you because they hate me. If we are truly striving to live for God, the world is going to hate us. Don't hear me. (laughs) Don't hear me saying like, well, I'm just going to go out and get everybody to hate me then because that means Jesus loves me, right? No, I'm not saying be a jerk. What the Bible says is if we are conforming ourselves to the character of God or God is conforming us to his character, becoming transformed more into more into his image, being him, the world hates God, and so it will hate his disciples. Now, some will see that, and they will come to faith in Christ through our witness, through our lives. But we have to fight the desire to be seen as the world as one of them. If the world loves us, then we've gone astray. That's a problem. If the world loves us, that's a problem. If the world sees that we hate one another, that's a whole other problem. That's a whole other sermon. That's not what we're saying. That's not what this is saying. What it's saying is, are we like David with the Philistines or are we like David with Goliath? Still the same weakling human-wise. One is trusting fully in Christ and God and the other is trusting in himself or in, in the things of this world. In this moment, David did not seek first the kingdom. He was seeking himself. He was seeking the treasures of this world, hoping that they will protect him. But praise be to God that God intervened, as he does with us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't walk away from us as his child. We don't lose our salvation. He patiently waits for us. The Bible even says that if you are a child of God, it is guaranteed that you will persevere to the end. We will have ups, we'll have downs. We'll have times that we go, oh my gosh, I'm more like the world in this area than I am like Christ. 
and God will show his grace and he will transform us in those areas over time. But we will never fall away completely from Christ, just as David never fell away completely from God. He had his moment, moments, in fact, a year and a half of it. And as we'll see when we get into 2 Samuel, he's got way deeper issues. Bathsheba, murder, but it never took him away from God. And God never left David. There were consequences to his sin, just as there's consequences here. But God is always at work in his people. So let me go back, ask these questions. Do you as a Christian, as a son or daughter of God through Christ, is there an area of my life that I am seeking the best of both worlds? Do I desire to be as a Philistine while wanting to be counted an Israelite? And if we see those areas as God's people confess them, turn to him, let, let him have that. And you know what? He's going to be faithful and he's going to transform us. We sang a song too about the crucible. I love and hate that example at the same time. You know what a crucible is? You put, you put metal in it, it heats it up and it melts the metal down and at the top is the dross and it gets scooped out, the impurities of the metal, and then it becomes more pure. That's sanctification for us. God is putting us in the crucible of Him. But it's not a one-time thing. It is every moment of every day, of every time in our life, until the day that we see Christ or He comes again. And it is painful. And it hurts. But it's so good in the end. This world may reject us if we are faithful to Christ, but the God of the universe will never reject us if we are his children. Never. Father, I pray. I pray that you would expose those areas in our life as your children, Father, that we need to go through the crucible, that we need to be purified, that we need to be be taken through the pain and the heat expose those things to us father and may we trust that your work in us and sanctifying us and making us more like you more like your son god that it is good that we will never be taken out of your love out of your hands as your people we praise you and we thank you for that god but father if there are things in our life Never stop exposing them and always empower us, Father, to submit to your reign and your rule in our life. Knowing that in the end, through the pain, even through the pain, God, that you, you are good and there's nothing better than being with you and being transformed by you. Give us the strength to resist the things of this world, to learn from David's mistake and to turn to you instead of to the world, to be, find refuge in you rather than in the things of this world. And for those, Father, who are hearing these words and they have not put their faith in you, they do not trust you, they have not submitted to your rule and your reign, 
They have not received your grace. Father, I pray you would soften their hearts, give them an understanding and a truth of who you are, Father, that you love them and that salvation is through your Son, that the things of this world will pass away, but in you and for all eternity, God, we will find joy and peace in all the things that we desire, but in its purest form in you and in you alone, Father. Father, change their hearts and save them. Help us as your church, Father, to be the light in this dark world, but to conform to your spirit and to you and not to the things of this world. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.